0: Bitcoin has seen a bit of a correction over the past few days with altcoins obviously suffering a bit more, leading a lot of people to believe that we are once again back in a bear market. Price is going to 10000 it's over, it's all going to zero, and that we should pack it in. But I have a feeling that myself and our guests today have a slightly different view on that. We also saw Coinbase make a threat to, s- to move offshore and now already getting licensed in Bermuda and beyond to open other exchanges. Is it over for crypto in the United States at least? Well, if the House Republicans have anything to do with it, it would seem not because Gary Gensler got absolutely eviscerated on the congressional House floor two days ago, which inevitably we will talk about today as well. We have a big panel today, Steve McClurg, Matthew Siegel, Aya Kenturovich, and Matt Hogan, some of my favorites, all who have been here many times. So really looking forward to this roundtable today. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of Wall Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and go ahead and hit that like button. I'm going to go ahead and dive right in, bring on the guests because we have limited time and a lot to say. We've got Matt, Aya, uh, other Matt, and Steve. I know we'll, we'll do Matthew and Matt today, I think, uh, just to keep it less confusing. And we had my producer on and it looked really good with six tiles, but f- five tiles looks looks pretty good here. Hope that all of you are having a great day. We have a lot to talk about First of all, Aya, uh, congratulations on helping the unemployment numbers. Uh, <laughs> we, we know we've all been watching the macro, and you disappeared there for about six months. So thank you very much, uh, Howard. <laughs> so, but it was a big announcement this week. So i give you the quick chance to tell us uh, what you're doing now after obviously uh, leaving your last position.
1: Thanks. Yeah. So uh, we're building Fractal. It's a, it's an infrastructure provider for institutions to allow them to clear, settle and manage their collateral on chain. Uh, and so to, to simplify what that really means is to take more of the settlement uh, between digital assets on chain, uh, anything that's OTC as well, uh, and really create non-custodial solutions in a post-FTX world. Um, to rebuild that trust uh, in CFI, and so we're calling it on-chain finance, not necessarily DeFi. It will be fully permissioned, uh, and excited to to see how that takes off.
0: How how relevant is that also with sort of the failure of Signature and Silvergate now?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, the, the banking providers, it's going to be a big bottleneck across the board for anyone looking to bring fiat into the space. Um, it's, you know, definitely we're not going to look to get a banking license. I think that in the United States today is going to be a very tricky uphill battle, but uh, we'll stick to stable coins for the meantime. Um, and our hopes is that, uh, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but the attitude in the U.S. Uh, changes and becomes a little bit more optimistic.
0: Let's talk about the attitude in the United States and if it can become more optimistic, any of you can jump in here. Obviously, I mentioned Gary Gensler somewhat getting eviscerated. I think we all know that was a dog and pony show and it probably doesn't mean much, but at least it uh, felt good. (laughs) <laughs> um, so do do you think that the tone has changed there at all or do you think that we're just going to continue to see this uh regulatory uptick steve you and i talk about this actually offline kind of quite a bit and i know that you definitely have your concerns so i what do you think
2: well look it's very real that there's a coordinated effort between the fed the treasury and the fdic um the fdic is working to debank uh, any companies in and around blockchain, but not just blockchain. Also, companies that are focused on um, money transmitting. Uh, so that's something that we don't hear about a whole lot because we're we're in our crypto Twitter echo chamber. But um, but money transmitting companies, uh, anybody that's doing back end processing, even for healthcare companies or or or, or anything along that line. Is also uh, in that category, which I find very interesting. It's not just uh, it's not just Bitcoin. Um, so so you you have that, and uh, and it seems like a couple of senators are, are leading the charge. Um, you know, I actually thought it was a conspiracy theory when everybody was talking about it uh, six months ago, and I was wrong. Yeah, you, like I said,
0: you and I have sort of privately texted, and you were like, I've had some meetings, and this seems kind of much more real than than I anticipated. I, I mean. Either Matt, uh, Matt, or Matthew. I mean, what do you think, Matt Hogan? Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've all woken up to the reality that that it's not a conspiracy theory; it is a reality. I think the question people are asking is, is sort of, can they get done uh, before the clock expires on their on their time frame? You know what? What I took away from yesterday's hearing not surprised with what Kensler said. Uh, a little bit positively surprised at the sort of broad based. Uh, assault from multiple uh, Republican senators uh, attacking him. I, I We knew about McHenry. We knew a few others, but there were many more that embraced that message. So sort of two entrenched camps. And now I think the question is, you know, can they get it done in the time that they have or will we run out the clock and then see the, you know, the, the industry rebound in the U.S. Uh, in a year or two's time?
0: But even if the clock runs out, don't we just then get a new regime and they flip it all anyways and make new laws and we call it a day? I mean, can we even count on anything remaining consistent for more than two to four years? Matthew, I mean, you can jump in. Well, the, you know, the
4: clock will count down on some of these court cases that will have a determining factor. And in the meantime, I mean, I think it was encouraging. There were a couple of Democrats on the House Financial Services Committee, like Rep Torres, who have, a you know, some open-mindedness. I don't think that this is a primary enough issue to get legislation passed um, in the middle of a debt ceiling debate, as we approachable an election as just you know chance of any bill is like one percent so you know pick your stablecoin legislation handicap but it's somewhere you know pretty low um so no i don't think there are any real surprises from from this week
0: yeah and uh, people kind of missed that there was actually that entire stablecoin congressional hearing yesterday a day after the gary genzer one i only was able to catch a bit of it i thought that uh dante and it was jake right i think they did a great job did you guys catch brad sherman did anybody hear that besides me who who came on and said that uh in wyoming uh, that their biggest problem is that they might not be able to get the price they want for their cows did Uh anybody hear that is that true? I saw that on
3: Twitter. That that actually happened.
0: Uh, I, I watched it. He did his usual mumble, stumble, Cobra Coin, mongoose coin uh, kind of rhetoric. But he said yeah, he basically implied that there's nobody in Wyoming. They only care about cows, and so of course they're going to try to get an edge by banking and and supporting scams. And it's effectively what he said. I mean. Yeah. That's incredible, that's incredible. I mean, and the
4: way that they compare it to the auto industry, right? You can't put a car on the road without a license plate. It's pretty clear that democrats at least in this case um and like, when you look at the restrict bill to to try to create oversight to ban TikTok as well like they want authorship of the code they want to know who that is at the time it's, of it that it's deployed and it's going to be your internet service provider one of the big tech companies who gets to bless it as yes or no and, and that's where the fight really is um you know it's bigger than crypto now and you can see that in the uk law that is you know heavily debated right now on privacy. So th- the fact that it's so big uh, tells me that nothing is likely to get done.
1: And it's becoming a geopolitical issue, too. I mean, I think now if you look at what's going on, to your to your point, Matthew, around uh, the UK, but also Singapore, France, Japan, um, Hong Kong, I mean, these are countries that are kind of opportunistically taking advantage of the fact that the US is creating a confusing narrative for companies. Um, and you're seeing companies go offshore. I mean, it's it's happening. And so I think that uh, it's almost a national security risk for the U.S. And the question is, how soon will it take for people to realize that before, um, you know, we've lost so many entrepreneurs that we just can't get them back, um, sadly.
2: Well, let's talk about <laughs> a bigger that. issue, yeah. talking yeah. about offshore. Um, so Scott and I were actually in Dubai together and watching what was happening in Dubai, Uh, and leading into the FDIC issues uh, that that, that happened afterwards. We were there in February, and all this happened in March and April. So Dubai is actively courting companies and depositors globally, and particularly from the U.S. and and even Switzerland. Uh, If you look at deposits, bank deposits globally uh, over the last two months, About $600 billion in banking deposits has left the U.S. in the last two months. About $300 has left Switzerland. Uh, A lot of people in other countries that were previously trying to get their money out of those countries, places like China and Eastern Europe, are now moving their money out of the U.S. because they've lost confidence in the U.S. banking system. And those deposits are moving to places like Dubai, Singapore, and even Hong Kong. So people that have spent decades trying to get their money out of China or moving it back to China because they trust Chinese banks more than they trust the U.S. banks. But the, the bigger significance of that isn't that, hey, you, know, we've, you know, we've lost confidence in the U.S. banking system. It goes back to the fact that not only are companies moving offshore, investments into companies are moving offshore as well. So Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic Bank, Uh, Other banks that are that are similar have been a uh, have essentially taken foreign deposits and have moved them into investments into venture and private equity Uh, with those with that deposit base gone. You're going to see uh, valuations go down in venture and private equity companies and those companies going offshore to 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 get that investment.
0: Yeah, the, I think the most curious part that uh, is so unexpected is that Hong Kong, beyond even the banks, I mean, they're wooing the crypto industry actively when China was supposed to have banned this, right? I mean, even <laughs> quietly, twenty percent of global Bitcoin hash rate is back in China again, right? So clearly, that at, at least ta- tacit approval from the from the government in China to to bring this back in in Hong Kong full sale, I mean. I, you made the point that this is a national security risk. The Treasury said literally the opposite. They said crypto being onshore is a natural national security risk. Effectively, so where does where do we draw the line here? How do we get them to understand that
2: they're they're looking at this backwards? Well, it, it is backwards, and 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 Scott, I, I had conversations with uh, you know some members of of, of the Senate and House uh, that. Are, are looking into this, when you when you look at national security, um, we had up to 80% of all hash rate going through uh, uh, Bitcoin hash rate going through pools based in the U.S. Uh, just two months ago. And like you said, that's starting to dissipate and move offshore. Uh, if you think about if, if all that hash rate is either being produced in the U.S. or coming through U.S. based pools, that means that the 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 U.S. can have influence over Bitcoin. It doesn't mean you can control it, but you certainly have influence. And if that influence dissipates, then that means other places can have uh, undue influence. And I don't think that that's what they what they really want.
1: Yeah, I think the the other um, interesting thing here too is that uh, the uh, regulation in general just is a reaction to. Um, whether it's volume or uh, entrepreneurs leaving or a reaction to really whatever it is. And um, what you've seen is China specific. So two years ago, Uh, Crypto markets actually used to be driven by Asia-based volume. And so uh, if you like worked in crypto, um, in trading, you remember that like starting at 6 p.m. is really when the day would start for you, um, because that's when volume started to move. Uh, And starting Sunday when it was Monday morning in Asia, like that's when the day would start. Uh, And that actually switched to the U.S. two years ago. And you're actually starting to see that movement back to Asia. Um, But that was a reaction. Right. When uh, Bitcoin mining was banned in China, you started to see a huge flow of that move into the U.S. Now you're seeing that move back. And so um, I think the pendulum swings here and we're just watching it swing, unfortunately, away from the U.S. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see, like, what's the metric or what's the number that makes it so obvious for regulators to that point where they're like, okay, we have to do something that makes it um, makes this jurisdiction Uh, more feasible for building.
4: I'll just say on a research tidbit, we had a Chinese uh, Bitcoin ASICs manufacturer in our office recently who said that there are a number of large tenders, offers being done out of the Middle East looking for ASICs. And uh, once Ramadan concludes here today, I guess, that some of those will start to heat up. So I, I don't think the U.S. is going to do anything. There's going to be certain states that carve out, you know, favorable regulation. But the the mining ecosystem moves so quickly, so flexible, like it's we shouldn't get too hung up on where the hash rate is at any given moment. That said, more of it is going to the Middle East.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, I would just
3: add from a market's perspective, this conversation is super helpful. There's so much focus on what's going on in the U.S. right now. And it's been terrible regulatory environment in the U.S. in Q1. And Bitcoin's the best performing asset class in the world. And part of that is because there are these other stories. There's the Hong Kong story. There's the Middle East story. Uh, There's even MICA, which passed today, uh, which is, um, you know, considered imperfect, but relatively balanced and at least a framework uh, for for one way the industry could move forward. And I think that broader global context is helpful in explaining what's been going on, uh, in the market a little bit.
0: Yeah. I think it's fair to say at this point, it was a bit of a meme to say we wanted, we would even accept negative clarity over no clarity right in the United States. I think a lot of people, but at this point, like you said, it it can be imperfect, but at least you know what you can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think
0: the the people in the United States would kill for that at this point. I mean, Steve, how much does this impact Valkyrie's business having this uh, level of uncertainty?
2: Oh, it's 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 impacted us a lot. I mean, pro- probably out of out of you know, Bitwise, Vanac, Valkyrie, it, it probably impacts us the most because Vanac is obviously diversified across a lot of other um, uh, areas outside of crypto, um, and, and 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 Bitwise is too. We're 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 the smaller of the group, and we're almost all in. So um, all all of us are registered investment advisors that uh, uh, have to operate with. In uh, a, a very strict regulatory environment, and uh, I know we all do that. And it's what's what's happening is, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of the regulation has affected more of the uh, of the exchanges more than anyone else in the past. But the banking issues are now starting to affect us, right? Um, you know, we 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 have we have we have issues trying to find banks to work with us at this point in time. Uh, and it, it's, it's become very difficult. So when you're in a very strict regulatory environment, uh, and framework and you try to operate within that, uh, which, which, which we do successfully, but you can't get banking partners for some of your products, then, um, you're, you're either forced to operate into gray areas or you're forced to not operate at all, or you're forced to operate offshore. And those are the areas that we're, that we're evaluating. And, um, so, so yeah, it's been, it's been very tough for us on, on that side of things. On the ETF side, you know, that's, that's a, that's a different animal. That's, that's, that's easy. But um, on some of these other, you know, private funds, it's, it's become very difficult. Yeah. I, I just had two, two thoughts on the banking topic, because I think it's really important. The way that will express
3: itself for crypto as a whole is more risk for end users. Uh, people will use imperfect partners and there will be blowups, And then the regulators will point and say, you know, that's a problem that was actually created by the lack of uh, ability to easily access banks. We saw that with with uh, Tether many years ago, uh, having the same sort of issues. The, the flip side, I'm one of the most optimistic people in the world, so I'm going to give you the optimistic take. Uh, the flip side of this is that we've been here before, right? It was super not easy to get a banking relationship in crypto in 2016, 2017. We're sort of fortunate that this banking crackdown occurred now when there are at least more options for people to work forward. So the industry has been here before. People are creative, they typically find ways, but it does introduce uh, risks that didn't have to be there that's going to harm end investors.
0: I spoke to Fred Teal from Marathon yesterday for, for a podcast, which will be coming out soon, and he actually he, he kind of echoed a lot of these sentiments. He said now even Texas is becoming a bit aggressive and that was going to be the home of all of this mining and they've sort of given a, away all the benefits that were there for uh, Texans. But he said that the mining industry isn't really having a problem with banking relationships because they somehow qualify effectively as data centers. So he said they were ba- basically banked by BNY Mellon and it was fine. So uh, are JP Morgan, BNY Mellon, I mean, we, knew, we know that they're involved in this industry. Are they going to be reasonable partners or is it just depend on sort of which facet or side that you're coming in from from the crypto industry?
4: Bank of New York and State Street are not serious about crypto right now. Like their custody solutions are not out in the market. They're capacity constrained. Neither of them has any interest in in doing the in custodying crypto for funds in with any scale, right? Because of the combination of SAB 121, which makes them hold those assets on their balance sheet, and then just directed statements from uh, from FDIC, OCC, Fed. Uh, so we're, we're going to have to wait another cycle for for those big guys to get active. Grim.
0: It's pretty grim. Let's talk about... Okay, I go ahead. Yeah.
1: Oh, I was just going to say there's also a difference between like an operating uh, expense bank account versus transaction bank account, which is super important. No one wants to bank uh, anyone that's doing trading um, as their prime business. I mean, that was a big change that came out. So if you're launching any trading operation in crypto... Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Um, and to Matt's point, that's exactly where we were in 2016. And you had to go offshore, and now you had to get other banking partners that, you know, Deltec's awesome, but are you super thrilled um, to be banking with Deltec? Maybe not. Uh, and so, like, you know, banking partners that you are excited about, but because uh, you know they exist, but maybe not so much uh, on the counterparty risk. Um, and you're going far down the risk curve. So, anyway, long story short, operating expenses; those accounts exist, but on the transaction side, it's it's really dried up.
2: Did yeah. you guys hear? She's absolutely right. right. Yeah, yeah, sure. she, she's absolutely right. Our our operating accounts are fine, but but our we, we're an active manager, so uh, you know, so everything that's attached to a fund, that's an actively traded fund, uh, as as has dissipated. So uh, we so so and and that's where our profit is. Right, so it's, yeah. it's 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 tough getting our profits into our operating account to do things, you know that 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 keep us operational.
0: Did, did you guys hear Gensler in his testimony literally just blame all three bank failures on crypto? Yes. Because that, did you hear the one the NYDFS N- N-
4: commissioner, the... commissioner yesterday denying that, saying that? Yeah, uh, I mean like, it's yeah.
0: it's just incredible. I mean, so I, I get it. okay, so so silver, whatever. That could be crypto related. Then he says Signature failed because of crypto. But when Signature was literally like seized on a Sunday with no evidence they were even going to fail that I've seen yet. But then he said, and by the way, you know, we saw that Circle had three billion dollars with Silicon Valley Bank. As if that's like Circle's fault that the bank failed because (laughs) they had deposits. But that, I mean, it used to be kind of quiet. You know, now they're saying the quiet parts out loud, it feels like. Like, they're not really hiding it. I mean, even, you know, the, the Restrict Act, we talk about that. That's literally called the Restrict Act. They used to call it the Patriot Act or the oh, oh. You're Super Free Now <laughs> Act or the This is Awesome uh, America Fuck Yeah Act. I don't know. But it, it, they're, they're not even hiding it. And it's really sad. And so now I want to talk about Coinbase because, you know, obviously they received their Wells Notice. There's no enforcement action yet. But Coinbase obviously being very proactive to get out ahead of this It was only two or three days ago that Brian Armstrong said, hey, maybe we'll go offshore if you guys keep treating it this this way. 24 hours later, they had a banking license in Bermuda and they're talking about launching an offshore derivatives exchange. I mean, is are we going to have anyone
1: left? Where am I going to trade? I think I was in the works for a while. I'll be honest. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, I think where I struggle with Coinbase is like their, their meat and potatoes is here in the U S their presence offshore, like really doesn't exist. They have closed jurisdictions like Japan uh, in the last six to eight months. Um, And, you know, no longer present in those markets. So I think it's going to be really tough for them to compete with Binance in some of these jurisdictions where Binance is now, you know, not only do they have their own stake, but also majority of what was FTX. so I, just... I agree.
4: Yeah. I, it's, a, it's kind of a defensive move. They have to do it. The returns will probably not be as high because it's more crowded space competitively. But what else are you going to do? So.
0: That, that's, that's exactly my point. I'm not saying Coinbase is going to go to Bermuda and become a successful offshore derivatives exchange. I'm saying, are they literally that terrified of what's coming that they're hedging their bets and we're going to need to have some sort of business somewhere so we better go register?
3: I think it's beautiful political theater is the primary driver. They wanna put pressure, they wanna make the point that we're all making here, which is people are forcing crypto abroad. And uh, they're the perfect vessel to make those points. So I love the photos of them in London, you know, palling around with British politicians. I love them timing the launch of this offshore derivatives exchange to right now to amp up the pressure. They're the best night we have to like lead the battle. Um, right? They're, they're, they're heart at the front of the line, uh, yelling freedom. And uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I think all of us in crypto are, are happy that they're the one, they're taking the SEC to court. Uh, they're not entering into a settlement agreement. We need a well-funded adversary to the, to the SEC to stand up to them. So I think it's beautiful, political theater. I love it. Anything I can do to cheer it on, uh, I'm ready to go.
0: Yeah, if anything, these sort of uh, the action from the SEC and regulators has certainly, I think, galvanized the crypto community to some degree. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people even who despise Ripple are super excited to see Ripple potentially win. I don't know that that'll happen, but uh, but it seems that, you know, people are really coming behind these court cases. And it should be mentioned, which we mentioned all the time, just because a regulator says it doesn't mean it's true. I mean, the SEC is getting a lot of pu- pushback in the court system.
3: Yeah, I mean, Matthew, you get, yeah,
0: yeah, go ahead. I was
3: just, crypto does well in courts, because generally speaking, the law, logic, and common sense is on our side. I mean, I, you know, you mentioned the, the spot Bitcoin ETF. I studied philosophy in school. I still can't figure out the logic that allows you to settle to a price and then call it um, manipulated. So I think crypto does well in, in lawsuits. I think they'll continue, will continue to do well in lawsuits. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice thing we have in our corner, thank God.
1: Matthew, I'll just throw
3: in that like <laughs> since
4: ni- since 1934 the median uh, SEC chair tenure is 2 years. Uh, so he just celebrated his 2 year anniversary and you know it's not all that pleasant to hold that position over an elect like during an election uh, time to get out and make some more money before the next cycle kicks off. So I have a contrarian call that uh, he'll, he'll be gone before the election.
0: The question is, will he be in Janet Yellen's job? (laughs) And and should we cheer that? Because she's so awful. I I don't even know at this point uh, who who I want, who I want where. But Steve, Matthew, both of you, he just obviously alluded to the spot ETF and sort of how confusing it is that that hasn't been approved. You guys are two of the very few companies who have applied for those, are still pushing for them. I think we all agree it's not happening with Gary. But is that still something that's on the docket, A? And B, at this point... How important is it?
4: I mean, it's very important because there's a lot of regulated entities that want exposure through their traditional brokerage account, obviously, Uh, you know, given um, the approach that the SEC has taken, I think we're all kind of in the position where we have no choice but just to keep filing because they're going to end up picking the winners and losers. And so you can't be at the back of the line when that happens, so very frustrating experience.
3: I'd also add it's important for investors because it's going to collapse the cost of investing in crypto and save people billions of dollars uh, and raise protection. So whether you like it or not, whether you're a self-custody person or not, uh, you should generally root for it in the crypto ecosystem because it is going to be a forcing function for lower costs for investors.
4: And that it trades at NAV, we wouldn't have had the grayscale discount and all of the unwind associated with that. So not too many people are making that point out. That's not top on the list of priorities for this regulator. So I don't think it matters.
2: Well, I don't think it also has to do with Ginsler so much. I mean, Ginsler's is doing his job. He's doing what he's told. Um, it, it has more to do with the Biden administration. And, um, you know, if, 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 if it's something that you, you know, if it's something that you believe in, you know there's there's alternatives out there um you know Kennedy Jr is now uh putting his bid in to uh primary uh Biden and uh he's he's probably somebody we should get behind um he's he's pro pro liberty pro bitcoin um and uh you know he just a- announced his uh his his run for presidency uh this week so He's 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 a good candidate to get behind, and um, whoever the Republicans put up, we'll have to we'll have to see, and uh, and probably get behind them. But uh, I I think it's time for political action in the next two years.
0: I haven't dug into Kennedy, but I do know that he's also extremely anti CBDC. So I, I, I and maybe we should talk about that. I mean, do you think that the CBDC is a realistic expectation in the united states Uh, we have a lot of tin hat theories in the crypto space obviously that much of what's happening with the banks and fed now that was he he got that one wrong right fed now is not a cbdc and he did he did write about that but do you think they're clearing a path for that or do you think that's something the united states will kind of sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else blow up first
2: to figure it out I think they're absolutely going to pursue that, and I, I think it's inevitable. I think there's nothing you can do to stop it. Um, you know, the, the the fact that that currency is moving from from paper form to digital form, it's already happened. Um, how many how many times do you use cash to make a transaction? You, Whenever you never, possible, uh, when you buy a car, you, will, <laughs> yeah. you get a bag of cash from the bank and take it to the dealership. It's no. Possible, yeah. Everything, everything is digital, and uh, and 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 we're moving very fast in, in that direction. Um, I'm I'm actually surprised that the printing presses haven't not stopped, and that um, you know uh, everything everything is has you know moving moving even faster to electronic. Um, second of all, uh, I I've been following Kennedy for years. Um, um, you know both both him and his sister Carrie um, I think are fantastic people. Um, They're they're kind of that that classic, uh, that classic liberal tilt, which I which I really personally like um, a bit more on the libertarian side and uh, and just and just wonderful people that are always out fighting for whether whether civil liberties or uh, human rights. And uh, and and he believes that uh, financial freedom is a basic human right.
1: Just to throw a wrench in here again, going on the geopolitical side. Um, but I think one, one interesting, uh, like angle against CBDCs, and I, I personally uh, think they should exist. But even Janet Yellen said that U.S. sanctions are basically weaponizing the dollar at some point, and it's just going to create a very dangerous environment, uh, for anyone holding or not wanting to hold uh, a U.S. denominated currency, uh, because of the risk that you know, tomorrow's just turned off and you can't use it. Um, And so I think that that is going to be a very dangerous side of CBDCs that you don't necessarily get from Circle today. You get it at a high level from a private company. But, um, you know, this is a little bit different. And so uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, the other side of that, especially internationally.
0: Yeah, you trickle that down even to the individual and it's terrifying to turn off your wallet. I mean, you know, everybody sort of points to the China social credit system, but, you know, they don't like your behavior. They turn off your wallet. Right to, yeah. to take that to an international level, it's pretty terrifying. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was just going to say, I agree it's
3: inevitable. Uh, but the design choices of what it looks like, I think, to what Aya said, are not inevitable and still very much in debate. And so that's what, what we should be focused on. But yeah, if we all close our eyes, I mean, a useful exercise in crypto on almost every news front is to close your eyes and imagine what it looks like in 10 years. And if you close your eyes and imagine 10 years forward, of course there's a CBDC. And so the question we should be debating is what does it look like? Uh, I find that useful when you think about what's going on from a regulatory environment. If you close and which AI mind,
0: is controlling it? Yeah, it <laughs> sure, go ahead, Matthew.
1: I, I think
4: crypto folks are in a in a tricky position when it comes to CBDC because the the policy question. One of the main policy questions is is it. Uh, available to retail, or it, does it continue this two-tier banking system that a lot of us object to fundamentally, right? And then, if it's going to be retail, then the surveillance aspect is almost inevitable. So, uh, I like don't have a strong call too early to say, you know, we sh- we should I agree with Stephen, get behind uh, all the politicians who are against it for now um, because that's in our interest.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know I joked about AI, but now that I've seen how fast that's advancing on a day to day basis, I've given up on making future predictions about anything because I just, I literally have no idea. Um, but let's actually talk about uh, the topic at, at hand in the title is Bitcoin a safe haven asset. So let's talk about the fact that um, we saw the silver, silver gate. Obviously, we saw all these banking collapses, but specifically Silicon Valley. The Fed came in on Sunday, closed signature, uh, they, they closed signature, FDIC. But then they basically came in with the bazooka and said endless liquidity to backstop these banks. And Bitcoin went basically straight from 19000 to $28,000, $29,000. Is this truly people moving into Bitcoin as a safe haven asset? Is it a bunch of people who own Doge saying maybe I should own Bitcoin right now because I'm a trader? Is it a low liquidity move because there's just no volume and it's easy to move? I, what, what do you make of shooting up to thirty thousand, still, you know, hanging out in that area after seeing the banking collapses and everything that's happening. Nobody wants to jump in on that one, I see. It's bullish. It's bullish. I mean, okay,
4: here here's how I think about it is uh, in Bitcoin wasn't around in 2009, but in 2008, when when Bear Stearns failed, March 2008, the first big bailout, and the VIX was at 60, and the market made a low, and then over the next like three months, the S&P rallied 15%, the VIX collapsed from 60 to 20, it was like the calm before the storm, are there more bank failures coming, um, and then there was in September, and I think a lot of folks have that narrative for this year as well, especially given that Um, like two year yields are still rising, um, you know, deposits are not flooding back into the system. And then if that is to happen, does Bitcoin crash like it did in the COVID March, or does it hang up on this narrative of resilience? And like, I think, it's the latter. And that's where everyone's gonna be surprised is that this bull run can continue because in 2008, nine, and when when Bernanke came in with that bazooka, we had the rest of the world that was really cohesive. Like US was stuffing our debt down everyone's throats and they happily took it. And now the geopolitical environment is just very, very different. And that should continue the narrative that Bitcoin is neutral and resilient with a lot of volatility, but um, that's my bet. And then if the tape is good, then, you know, we've got no issues. So risk reward is, is positive. We're, you know, we're buying. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I actually think that the price has gone up because of speculation that it's going to be a safe haven. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with gold in 2008, 2009 as well. Right. Uh, speculators spe- speculators assume that that's going to happen. And by the way, it is, it is happening. I know several companies that don't have any other choice, but to use Bitcoin or USDC, as payments to their vendors, um, so so there is a there there, ha, there was a a knee jerk reaction moving into Bitcoin, but speculation is always higher. You know, coming you know as a former trader, and um, but when reality catches up with that speculation, that's when you you know that's when you see the consolidation. You know, Scott, you're a chartist, you you're probably seeing consolidation in the charts right now. Where you know we 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 achieve thirty thousand, now we're coming back down to twenty eight, and you're 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 getting your you know your 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 cute little lines on the chart uh, that you always talk about, you know, the little triangle. Yeah, that's yeah. that's consolidation. That's that's reality catching up with speculation. And once that happens, then that's when you see uh, markets move up again. And 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 I and I truly believe that uh, that that is happening right now, and that's where um, uh, and that's when we 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 see a move higher uh, throughout this whole throughout this whole cycle. Got some balls here. Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, I, I would just add all available evidence suggests that the answer is yes. In that, if you look over the history of Bitcoin, every time there's a major banking crisis, Bitcoin rallies. And uh, that was true in Cyprus. It was true here. It was true out of the financial crisis. Uh, it was true during during some of the other European tremors. So I don't know. I mean, the evidence would just lay out that way. I don't think this move is solely explained by that. I think one of the worst things crypto Twitter does is find single point explanations for every <laughs> crypto move. Uh, there were like eight or nine or 10 factors that aligned, uh, including the natural cyclicality, including the massive sell-off in 2022, including the down rating of out-month interest rates. Yeah, I, I could go on, uh, but is it a safe haven asset? It's an emerging safe haven asset. Like all the available data suggests that's true. It's essential design suggests that's true. It's a hedge against extreme tail risks. And when the likelihood of tail risk occurring, when that tail widens, crypto tends to do well. It always has. It probably always will. Um, I just think that's what the tape shows.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll be the bull on the back of that um, as well, too. Uh, I'll just say that I think it's always hard for people who sit in the U.S. to understand why Bitcoin's a safe haven. Uh, But definitely with all of the geopolitical issues going on overseas, Um, you're going to see a lot of that roll into crypto. Now, it's not always going to roll just into Bitcoin. A lot of that may also go into Tether and other stable coins. Um, And then also in the last week, because of the uh, Chappelle upgrade, you saw a lot of Bitcoin also uh, move into Ethereum. Um, And so like you're going to see a lot of that activity. Um, To Matthew's point, though, uh, there will be a lot of volatility because there's no liquidity on exchanges. Uh, After FTX, you saw the largest exchange withdrawal in the history of crypto and a lot of that also being taken into self-custody. And so um, assets aren't being left on exchanges. And so liquidity is really dry. And really what that means is just you're going to get Large moves up and large moves down, and the narrative may line up. And sometimes it may just be there wasn't liquidity, and so the price moved drastically. Um, and so I think that's a lot of that too.
0: I, you've also been tracking DeFi. I know the DeFi volumes, obviously, as we see that liquidity dry up on centralized exchanges for obvious reason. Are we seeing increased interest in DeFi? Do you think that they could be the winner here, or is that yet another echo chamber or uh, <laughs> celebration? <laughs>
1: Uh, listen, on-chain data, is up 30% uh, TVL year to date. Uh, from Jan, uh, you saw that Uniswap surpassed Coinbase and spot volumes in two months in a row, with March being the last month to surpass coin. I mean, that's just crazy. Um, And I I think that's really important to know. Uh, There are times where it is cheaper and it is always easier to just use uh, some of these decentralized exchanges to execute. So I think regulation is going to be the biggest overhang uh, there. And I think that's what really lines up the narrative for some of these more permissioned on chain applications. The infrastructure is just easier to use and the liquidity is there. And so, you know, that's where you're going to get just better pricing in the long run.
0: Yeah, I, I was just gonna say one more thing. And just on the safe haven narrative for Bitcoin, I had Josh Frank from the tie on yesterday, and he was showing how the we had the high correlation, obviously, with the Nasdaq and Bitcoin, and that's dropped dramatically as the correlation with gold has increased. I think it's, you know, 0. 0.4 right now with gold and sub 0. 0.2 with Nasdaq. I mean, whether that's it's just another data point, but that's a very good indication that it's now trading more like gold uh, or a store of value than it is like a risk asset, right?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. There, there are a million of these data points. I mean, even to tie back to our earlier conversation, if it weren't a serious alternative emerging store of value, emerging safe haven, it wouldn't be 12% of the president's economic report. This is an asset that's the same size as Louis Vuitton. They're not devoting 30 pages in the economic report to like purses and champagne, they're focused on this asset because of the potential scale of it. So I think it- those
0: purses have had their held their
3: value though. They they, they Go have gone up in value. I
0: was gonna say I have a bag.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Anyway. That's true. That is true.
0: The best store of value, maybe on the planet, is uh, those high-end luxury goods, and that that's why they're so rich. Uh, what one of you brought up, obviously, I think I had the Chappelle upgrade and and um, what's happening with ETH. Uh, and we saw ETH actually options, futures, volumes, well surpassing Bitcoin over the past week. Now we're seeing massive net inflows versus the outflows that many people feared. Even in this sort of global macro wobble, it seems that Ethereum is can, just continues to win here. I mean, what are your guys' positions on where Ethereum now falls in the market? We've been kind of talking about Bitcoin, but I think ETH is an, almost an equally big player now.
4: I'll take that. Uh, I've been staking Ethereum all week, um, and it's encouraging to watch the withdrawal times come down. So it's down to 10 days on my calcs, at least. Um, uh, The other thing um, about ETH is... uh, I lost my train of thought here. So someone else can, can take it.
0: I I I
1: mean, like, why wouldn't you stake that? That's exactly, it's a great point, Matthew. Why wouldn't you stake your Ethereum? If now, you know, you could get liquidity coming out and you have this 4.2% yield bearing asset. um, You know, you can get leverage on that uh, with certain counterparties on top of that. It was like less than 10% of the ETH that was staked was being unstaked. And of that 10%, Majority of that was just rewards. So people were just unstaking their rewards, leaving the underlying ETH staked um, there. I mean, just taking a step back, uh, it blows my mind how well the Ethereum foundation is able to manage these transitions without glitches. I mean, last year, uh, it was a buy the rumor, sell the news moment where everyone thought that, you know, ETH was going to crash. And so you bought the rumor and the price dropped immediately afterwards. And what you were seeing in this Um, upgrade was that institutional investors, again, were shorting ETH, or actually the opposite, they were shorting ETH into the move, had to buy the underlying afterwards, to your point, Scott, on the open interest, and that really pushed the price up. And uh, it's just astounding, the amount of development foundations- I, I know what I was going to say. Sorry,
4: like I was looking for the chart. If you look at the fee generation of BTC versus ETH since, since the start of the year, like BTC was growing much faster. And then in the last like week or so, given all these on-chain movements, like ETH fees have, have caught up. So the, the case for like BTC outperforming is, is less than it was. Go ahead, Matt.
3: Uh, yeah, I, I was just going to build on, on what I said. I think it's poorly understood how important ETH executing on its roadmap is to crypto as a whole. Pre-EIP 1599, it was like the gang that couldn't shoot straight, right? Any deadline that they announced, you would push forward in your mind 18 to 36 months uh, before you expected it. You just write it off. But it's been 1599. It's been the merge. It's Chappella. 4844 is coming. It's executing better than any centralized software company in the world. And what that means is the core technology that all of us are talking about, sort of public blockchains, are going to get better and better and better faster than any traditional. So when's the last time, you know, Apple had a perfect upgrade that went according to plan on deadline with no bugs or issues? Never. And We all know that because our computers shut down on Friday and reboot because uh, they have to upgrade again. Uh, this ability to execute on a roadmap. And what it means for what's going to develop down the road was why, you know, Bitwise was originally really excited entering this year, the collapse of transaction costs, the rise of layer two. I just think it's, it's, it's very different than a year ago. Uh, and I don't think crypto has woken up to what that means if you allow that to pattern forward for three or four more years.
0: Even talking about that trading side of it, it kind of goes unmissed that, uh, or or missed, I should say that when FTX collapsed and Bitcoin dove down to 16,000, 15,700, whatever it was, it made a massive new low from what it had hit in June. And ETH didn't even come close to making a new low at that point. It didn't even crack a thousand. And I think it had gone down to around 800 uh, earlier in the summer. So to me, even just looking at that as sort of a trader, there was clearly a, Substantial floor or buyer of last resort, whatever you want to call them for ETH that wasn't necessarily even there on Bitcoin. I, I found that surprising. And that's going back a few months, right? So I, I think that that uh, also contributes. Uh, when we talk about ETH too much, I get very angry text messages from my Bitcoin maximalist friends. So I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed or if I'm going to get canceled uh, from, from their club. But Maybe that's a good time to talk about this since we have a, four more perspectives. I view Bitcoin as its own asset class and Ethereum as its own sort of asset class. And I don't really understand why anyone cares which one has a bigger market cap or if there's going to be a flipping or which one is harder mo- I don't know. I don't get it. Do you guys like... Come I just on, Scott, that's naive,
4: right? Because we, don't we all think that like central banks are going to be acquiring these assets for their reserves over time? And like depending on what the, the resources of that country are, if they're energy resources, then they're more likely to adopt Bitcoin. And if their uh, resources are more like intellectual property and human ingenuity, then maybe that's ETH. Like ETH isn't liquid enough for those purposes yet. But if we're thinking about like, 10, 20 years down the road, central bank reserve assets, much more diverse What will they own? What will they own first? Um, You know, I think they're legitimate questions to compare them. I would have never
0: thought for a second even about a central bank buying ETH. I mean, maybe I just, I never even got there. That's what I'm saying. Like, I always thought that that was just Bitcoin's thing.
3: (laughs) I I think it's like gold and real estate. Uh, You know, Bitcoin is to gold, ETH is to real estate. Real estate's a store of value that has utility. And I love gold and I love my house too. Um, and I can hold both of those thoughts in my mind at the same time. I don't see why it's why it's any different than that.
0: Yeah, I always went with gold and like Google stock or
2: right? right. Amazon
0: stock, right? So it's like investing in a tech company or, or having
2: store value. <laughs> Steve, you look you look unconvinced. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not too dissimilar to what all of you have said. My 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 analogy is just a little different. Um, I, I I see Bitcoin as as dollars or gold, and uh, I see Ethereum as really data. Um, it'd be like buying a cell phone tower, right? Because you're you're essentially buying data that powers applications. So it's two entirely different things altogether. Um, but I, but I do like the uh, IP analogy a lot because uh, it's that, that that's right. There's a lot of IP built on top of ETH, whether you agree that it's actual IP or not. It, it is. It's IP, and um, uh, so uh, yeah, it's two different things, and uh, there's no reason why it can't coexist.
0: I I don't think you've rung in yet. Now you have to.
1: Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I agree with all the above. I have no other (laughs) great uh, metaphors to give for you. Um, But no, I mean, listen, I don't think it's one versus the other. I think you have to own both. I don't know anyone who just sits on gold or just sits on tech stocks. And if you do sit on tech stocks, please diversify um, because that would have been a tough, tough year. Uh, But, you know, that's exactly why uh, you do so. Yeah. You
4: tell them the Swiss uh, central bank to buy ETH there. I, uh, yeah.
1: Diversify <laughs> so, yeah, from their yeah.
4: FANG stocks.
0: I'm hoping they're going to buy Pepe or whatever the, uh, <laughs> the meme of the day is. By the way, can we, yeah, I, I, I haven't looked into it that deeply, but there, I saw that there were people who bought like $100 worth of this coin and it's now worth a million dollars or 500 or 600,000 or something like that. Every time we see that, maybe this is anecdotal, I feel like that's the exact top of whatever cycle we're in. Local top, maybe. I mean, the, yeah, we're, still, we're 20% insane. above uh, the
4: 50-day. Like the yeah, Things have top. gotten a bit extended, yeah.
0: But I think maybe – let me, let me correct that. That's the signal that we're going to get a, a mean reversion and, and a retracement and a correction, right? I mean, but we're doing it again, guys. Not us, but like crypto GPT, Pepe. I mean, these are things that now have like $100 million market caps or more. Did we learn anything? Is this, I mean, is this a concern for anyone here? Steve, you're shaking your head.
2: I've, I've never bought an NFT and, and maybe I'm stupid for not, but it's just, you know, I, I, I kind of get it, but uh, it's not something I'm going to invest in. And, and I, a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but uh, that's just, you know, you invest in what you know. And uh, I, I know physical art pretty well. And um, I, but, but, but I don't, I don't understand JPEGs. So I don't, I don't, I don't buy them. I do right click and save them sometimes.
1: No, Rangers. you're one of those guys. You're no,
2: <laughs> defend, look, a lot of people defend, have made a lot of money. The JPEG I, I, I have no, 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 no hard feelings for people that have made money on it, but I, I don't know how to make money on it, so I'm not going to try.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I know the JPEGs, these, but I, I definitely don't own them to make money. I think I just own them to be a part of whatever community uh they, they are a part of. Yeah. um but uh, typically like uh, female-founded ones because uh, I always think those are, are really cool. But um, yeah, I mean, I think on the like NFT flipping, that's, that's like a whole nother category, right? Um, but even if you look at like NFT New York City that happened last week, uh, it was a smaller conference, but the brands were bigger. Um, and so you are getting the attention. I mean, look how much Nike made on Artifact. Uh, there is a sense of belonging uh, from Gen Z uh, who want these type of JPEGs. Um, in order to you know compare with their friends, so I think there's something interesting there. Sorry, by the way, yeah, you I
2: mean, said JPEG, Congratulations.
0: Um, yeah, <laughs> it is the community side, a hundred percent that sort of developed. I think it started as sort of you know flipping for profit, and the same people who are trading Pepe. But I have heard a lot more people speaking in that language. I that people you know you you buy it. To me, though, that means you could just have a membership card and have your community and it doesn't need to be a volatile asset necessarily for
2: that to work. But that it's a volatile
1: it. membership card. That's exactly.
2: What <laughs> well, that's the thing when people ask, like, well, well, well what is it? And, and you know, and, and when I try to explain it, I always refer to golf clubs. Right. You know, people people will join a golf club. They'll play, pay a crazy amount of money to be a member. They'll play golf sometimes. But more importantly, they sport the cool little polos that have the golf club on it so that everybody knows that they're a member of that club. It's the same thing. You got a JPEG that shows that you spent a lot of money to be a member of a club. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. It, I, I just it's just, definitely a thing. Go ahead, Matt. I
3: was just gonna add my 10 year view. I mean, the, the thing about digital things, if you look through history, is people always discount them. We discounted digital ads. They're not real ads. No one's ever gonna watch a digital ad. No one's ever gonna pay attention to a digital ad. We we've, we've discounted digital content. No one's gonna ever look at self-generated content. Typically, discounting the future value of digital objects and digital ideas has has played out poorly. I think that's probably true in NFTs, too. Most of them is garbage going to zero. But I I do think uh, there's a large and growing community who really does identify primarily digitally. And for them, owning an NFT is just the same as as owning a piece of art on the wall. You know, it doesn't mean I have to or you have to.
0: Um, Yeah, Steve, you said you understand art. I think I just saw our uh, our. Our buddy, I think I just outed you that we met with uh, Kyle, obviously, in, in Dubai, Kyle from Three Arrows Capital. But I think I just saw that their collection is being uh, liquidated or uh, auctioned by it's going to be auctioned on Sotheby's because I said he, he like tweeted like goodbye, sweet girl or something really weird. But I, yeah, so I mean, but theirs was the fine art side of it in theory, right? I mean, d- do you buy into that at
2: all? That some of these could be fine art in the same way as the things you hang on your wall I don't I don't know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount it I mean anything could have value in the future I mean look I, w- I was done for discounting beanie babies I thought everybody was crazy and a lot of people made a lot of money off of it not long term uh, my weren't. mom saved my <laughs> okay. GI Joe's up in the attic and thinking they're gonna be worth money one day and they n- they never got sold and I think they ended up melting right because you know you keep things oh, okay. in the attic in Texas and uh they they eventually melt so I I don't know. I mean, anything could be worth something in the future. Right. And, uh, and, and if you have an eye for it, you have an eye for it. Um,
4: we're, we're using NFTs internally. Look, we have a VanEck community NFT on Ethereum that we've used to just kind of engage with our clients and offer them um, access to events. We rang about the NASDAQ, invited our NFT holders, et cetera. Um, but on the investment side, we're more interested in the functionality. Can you use an NFT to prove your identity and make KYC easier or to subscribe to some recurring payment? So uh, more thinking of it from that perspective.
0: i I just have to read this i never read comments but i just happen to see the craziest comment in the uh in the the chat my ex-wife signed off on leaving me with 50k worth of coins and i gave her a 350k retirement account and returned during divorce a year later it was worth 13.5 million and she wanted to reconcile the power of crypto ladies and gentlemen it it, it was that's just crazy i'm sorry Uh, i i I I had to read that. That's, that's absolutely mind blowing that I caught that. So I guess then the, I never even intended here to talk about NFTs. We only have a few minutes left, but do you think that they're going to get deemed securities as well? And that that's going to be the next huge narrative here?
4: I mean, it 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 could be if the it, if if the narrative that the Democrats put forward over the last two days in the House and Senate, like, ever becomes how legislation is drafted, then yes, like anyone who publishes a large language model uh, or a piece of content that then gets distributed and monetized, uh, if it's valuable enough, it could be a security, right? And yet at the same time, SEC chair is saying, "Not your keys, not your coins." So there's a lot of contradictions uh, to work out, but. Um, yeah, they could be securities. So, so, what's the reporting requirement, right? If it's below a, a, a certain level, then can you just have a de minimis exemption on what type of information needs to be revealed? Uh, and and that's how
0: you could eliminate all this friction, even if they are securities. I agree. I, that's sort of like the Lumis Gillibrand view on you know anything under four hundred bucks or whatever it was, three hundred and fifty. Go have fun, right? Go buy your coffee. We're not going to tax you. It's not going to be viewed that way. That seems like that should be applicable across the entire space. Apparently, we're going to see that bill reintroduced, by the way, within the next month. You guys heard anything about that? We need it. The comprehensive framework? Well, you know, they were proposed last July, this massive thing that we all knew would get shelved, obviously. But apparently, I I heard a leaner and meaner version of it is coming within the next month. And I think that will probably end up being the stablecoin legislation that we see. Uh, Are you guys encouraged at all about what we might see, at least from stablecoin legislation? It seems like that's so obvious and easy. Steve doesn't think so. I can tell he's shaking his head. Uh, I'm not encouraged. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That we could get something...
3: I think we have a better shot at that than anything else in the short term, for sure. And it would be net good. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a small chance. But you, you can't make a bet on anything getting through Congress uh, right now, right? The likely path to crypto legislation is either a change in political regime uh, that makes it easier to pass things or the regulators losing aggressively in court, which then creates a necessary condition for legislation that both sides can agree on. So there, there, there are three pathways, either that or that, or we just get massive regulatory crackdowns that work and the industry flees abroad. Those are the three paradigms that we're going to exist in. My guess is it's one of the latter two, uh, but you shouldn't discount the third either. If that's possible.
0: Sure. And the most important question with one minute left, are any of you guys going to consensus next week? No. Everybody? Steve, you're not going? No. Very disappointed. Uh, we'll have
4: some folks there. You oh, won't be there.
0: I'm not going there. No. All right, Matt, we're, we're going to connect. I, are you going?
1: I so am. You, have to, you have to go
0: everywhere now. You have to yes. go everywhere now. Right.
1: Awesome. All right,
0: guys. So, we'll, 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 those of us who are there will eat some barbecue next week in, in Austin. I'll reach out to you guys offline. We'd we'll love to uh, connect in person. Thank you guys so much for this awesome conversation. It was more. uh we're serpentine and, and went in more directions than I necessarily anticipated, but that's what makes what makes Thursdays fun, especially when my ADD kicks in really hard. Did any of you guys, by the way, God, get the like alert on your iPhone at four o'clock this morning? Did that happen to any of you? It happened. No. No. So they tested their emergency alert system. No, it happened to like millions of people. It's all over the place. So all all of our phones in the house went absolutely blaring at four o'clock in the morning. Like, uh, okay. Anyways, glad that didn't happen to you guys. Everyone else, I will be back tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I know some of you guys in the chat, it had to happen to you. They were not just trolling me. Uh, I will be back tomorrow and the rest of you guys, I'll see you all uh, next week at consensus. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, pleasure as always. And Aya, congratulations again.
1: Thank you, Scott. Thanks, guys. Hi, guys. Thanks, Bye. guys.